Now it's Simon and Joe. Where will this go? It's time to see in a hamster commentary. <laughs> well, this is gay. <laughs> Joe, you beat me to the punchline. <laughs> It's always pretty gay with you and me, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's very true. I think that might have given away which story we might be talking about. Oh, I love the jingles in the Macros Hero, mm. you know. La, 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 la. Thank you too. Thank you too. Sire Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I remember back back in the early days where I was doing hamster. There were you. There was no way you were ever going to get me to sing. And now look. Well, I feel as if our relationship has moved on in leaps and bounds since then. Mm-hmm. Did you not hear my my recent tribute to our friendship in the two doctors? It's finally oh, been I released. Did. One year on. Who knew? Who knew it was going to take that long to get the thing out? <laughs> So, so no, this is your intro. I'm it is. Over. So, um, yes. Yeah, so today we are following um, the two doctors going back into the proper Troughton era for the first time. So we've been all over the shop and I think there's only one doctor we haven't done anything or no, two doctors we haven't done anything about now between us with Fraser as well. Matt Smith. Oh, no, Victor and the Daleks. What's the two? Yeah, we've done. Yep. Yeah. What's the two? So we've got um, Christopher Eccleston. Oh, of course. Boomtown's coming up. Yeah. And Paul McGann. But there's very limited choices for Paul McGann. We may have to do a big finish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said this is diving into the Troughton era. I actually think this is where the Troughton era really kicks in this story. Oh, certainly Troughton's Doctor. Yeah, this is this feels like his doctor's arrived, doesn't it? And I think there's you could also say the pretty much the same about the moon base, which is directly before this. I think he's yeah. sort of got the hang of what he's doing and is more the doctor that we get to know sort of later on, sort of in these two stories, he really sort of emerges. Did you ever hear the story about Morris Barry? Basically, he was clowning around. Troutland and doing what he was doing in his first three stories and Morris Barry was like no 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 we're not having any of that I want you to take this seriously this is a serious story you know I think Morris Barry was the first person to sort of like tow him into line and then that's kind of what he goes with isn't it from this point on yeah from there on in his doctor is pretty well formed so but he's always slightly elusive and slightly difficult to pin down and if you try and sort of describe Patrick Troughton's Doctor, it, it's a difficult thing because you've got the cosmic hobo thing, but that doesn't really, I mean, that, that sort of describes his early days and when he comes back into the show in the three Doctors and the five Doctors and the two Doctors, he's he's like, like that. But the rest of the time, he's, he's kind of shifty and difficult and hard to pin down. You know, sometimes I think with those later ones, three, five and two, <clears throat> um, it's like it's how people remember him being rather yes. than how he actually was during his time. So he's he's a bit impish, isn't he? And he's he's a bit cheeky. But I don't think there's any of that darkness that was there. And no. watch his era through. He could be a bit of a shit sometimes, you know. Yeah, I, there I, there's hints of it at the end of um, Power of the Daleks and all the way through Evil of the Daleks. He's really you're not quite sure what side he's on. 
Puma's a side man. He's the one that's responsible for getting them down into those tombs. So he's technically responsible for those deaths in yeah. that. And and Web of Fear would have succeeded if he'd actually just told someone what he was planning to do. Um, yeah. So, but he keeps things to himself and has also, secrets. Have you, have you never? Yeah, he has secrets. That mm-hmm. sounds like Tom Baker talking. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> you can a, believe this man has secrets. A benevolent alien with secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, like his go-to response to a crisis is kill the monsters isn't it yeah, as well? of course yes yeah i think we'll be talking about this in the next story we do with fraser yeah as well because there's a lot of gun down the, the monsters in that one so people see trout as this very and he is incredibly like charming funny all of those things but i like that bite you know and i think actually there's when matt smith looked back and he Sights Troughton, doesn't he? And you can kind of see it in the physicality of his performance yes. and his face and all of that. Um, but Matt Smith's doctor has like a, an element of darkness about him as well. Yeah. And again, you're not always able to pin him down. And he has, again, Troughton also has moments of, of anger that you don't expect from his doctor as well, which sort of come out of nowhere almost. Yeah. Wow. And today we are not, I've recently done a reconstruction of the Daleks master plan. We're not doing the reconstruction today because we have what some would say is a superior version of the Macro Terror to watch. Yes. Now, yeah. Again, this is a a contentious one, isn't it? Everyone has a different opinion. And everyone has a different opinion of uh, whether they're, how they should be. And um, I think, Particularly, the Macro Terror one was was um, quite controversial because it did take out some scenes just for the ease of making it animated and things like that. So it did make some changes. But also, as well, there's a scale to this that in no way was in the original production. There, no. When they go out on location, it feels like a vast sort of Star Wars esque environment and i don't think you ever saw the exterior of the colony no way they show it but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna be controversial now and i'm gonna say if you've got a way of making this material more accessible to the audience today by making it more visually interesting than perhaps it was originally with the soundtrack included why wouldn't you do that well, exactly. And this is why I think I always watch it in 16.9 in colour, because that's how they're animating it. And what's the point of slavishly remaking it? I can understand it for the other animations that they did sort of earlier on, where they're interspersing episodes within um, a story sort of with existing episodes. But here they're starting mostly from a blank canvas. They haven't got very much moving footage from this story at all. So why try and recreate 1967 when you can do it as 2017 or whatever for, was this 2017, 2018, something like that? Um, You know, make it big and bright and make it how they'd love to have made it in 1967 if they could. This is what they would have made if they had the budget to do it. Yes. And so to have a, that kind of imagined for us, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And it doesn't take away from the original. The original 
you can watch the telly snaps if you like, if you're a masochist. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of telly snap reconstructions, uh, personally. The same story is still the same yeah. performances, the same they, uh, Yeah, it's not like they've re-recorded the story with new actors and made it into something it isn't. It's a very interesting way of animating something because you've got an existing soundtrack that you're working to. And so it's a very different way of, of doing it when you're making an animated movie. It's you've got more scope to do what you want because you can transform the, you can get bits re-recorded if it doesn't work with the animation, you can sort of do all of that. But here you're slavishly working to something that was recorded in a hurry in 1967 and trying to make the best out of it. And yet in the same breath, it has given them scope to be more ambitious, to make it- Yeah, more- I mean, yeah, the I mean, macro could not have done what they do no. in this animated version. But they look amazing in this. I was watching yes. this earlier, and when the one picks up Polly and all that, and we know that weren't happening because there's there's those stories. Right, because there is the the footage of Annika Wills throwing herself into the claws <laughs> of a macro and desperately wrestling with with a prop that's not not really movable. But you know, it makes the gulf between this and Gridlock, which we've also recorded the commentary. Yes far smaller you know like because i think when we saw gridlock it's like oh wow that's how the macro could have been yes and now we get to see the macro how they could have been in the in their original story yeah i, I so one more quick question then before we head in because this yeah. is our longest preamble yet i think you know, <laughs> um you, you're getting as bad as me and jack you know mm-hmm. i'll be braced is um do you think some of the animations like, do you think they're variable in quality? Because I do. I think some of them are extreme. I think this and Evil of the Daleks are very strong. And others like the Ice Warriors and the Reign of Terror. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, this is my favourite of all the animations. I just really love this one. Um, Evil is very, very close seconds. Um, but this one sort of took me by surprise at what they could do suddenly mm. with an animation so i think this is the 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 third of the complete story ones that they well no because it's well power of the daleks wasn't it then it was sharder yeah and then this so the sort of upgrade between from the original power of the daleks to this feels like it's huge like they've just yeah. decided to to just relax and just do what they want to do I think this feels like the most accomplished yes. animation of all of them, actually. Um, and interestingly, when Fury from the Deep came out after this and Galaxy 4, it felt like a bit of a step back. Yes. Yeah, it, it's weird, isn't it? I, um, Galaxy 4 and Fury from the Deep sort of, I think, suffer from um, what they... from making things epic by putting in big spaces and putting your characters into bigger spaces than they might have been on TV. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily work for either of them. So suddenly in Galaxy 4, the real ship is huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that's fine. And in Gal- um, in Fury from the Deep, suddenly you've got this, the refinery control room is is really big. And They've got massive arms. Have you yeah, seen well, them? Yes, they, they've also got massive arms, which doesn't help. <laughs> You've got, the Trout looks like Mr. Tickle in half those scenes. Yes, it's yeah, it's very, very strange. It's and yeah, awesome. they've got the really <laughs> wonderful bit in, in Fury where they've got the helicopter chase with the seaweed tentacles coming out of the sea, which again, is not what was intended on TV, but suddenly makes those scenes really tense and really, really good. So there are 
There's bits in Fury as well where I feel it, I feel like they use like some photographic backgrounds and things like that as well. Yes. It's, it's a mm-hmm. bit of a weird mess. It's still, you know, do you know what? I'm still extremely grateful that we've yeah, got. Yeah, absolutely. It's a new way to experience all of these stories. Which... And they're on our shelves now as well, which is yeah. lovely, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, I've got one piece of information for you. Do you know who is responsible for the selection of stories that we have had animated? Kind of. Oh, go on in. Um, I bet, if I remember rightly, some of it is Mark Ayres. It is Mark Ayres. Because yeah. it's all to do with which soundtracks exist in the best quality yeah. that they can do something with. Because there's no point animating the Celestial Toymaker if you've got a dreadful sound, hissy soundtrack. And like Marco Polo, which I know it's been cleaned up, but it's still a bit iffy in places. Yes. Oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, should we skip into episode one? Yes. All right. So we're going to the unnamed Connolly of the Macra Planet. We are. Well, why don't you count us in? Okay. All right. In five, four... Three, two, one, go. Off we go. Are you watching I always forget, Britbox we get this DVD? lovely... Sorry? Are you watching Britbox or DVD? On on Blu-ray. Oh. oh. I always forget, we get this lovely... Fly. Yeah, this lovely pre-credits teaser. Doesn't that look gorgeous? Oh, that's beautiful. I, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned it on Hamster, but I have a real, one of my, my big Doctor Who things is I love a TARDIS spinning in space shot. I don't think we've ever actually had a story with the TARDIS spinning in space in all the ones we've done. a few examples? Um, My favourite one of all, because I do have a list, is um, the start of Full Circle, where you've got the really fast TARDIS coming down the screen, and then you've got the lovely spin as it goes into e-space with the quantile effects. Those are, that's my my go-to. Cannot comprehend. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Okay. What what else? Um, there is um, uh, oh, Pyramids of Mars has got one, isn't it? Pyramids of Mars has a really good one. Yeah, that's that's nice with a nice bit of Dudley swirling. The one at the end of um, Frontier in Space and the start of Planet of the Daleks is quite nice. Isn't there one? I swear there's a Graham Williams one. Wait, oh, oh, there's lots um, of Graham Williams uh, ones. Stones of Blood. Start of Stones of Blood. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, I, and you must have absolutely had a hard on uh, of your life when you saw the new title sequence for the new series then. Yep. <laughs> and it was perfect. Like, leaping and from timeline to timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And oh, those new ones that they did for the animated Sharda were just... Oh, oh, oh yeah. they were absolutely yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Well, the entrance to this colony is decidedly futuristic. It... <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm going to do the line of yeah. the episode, right? Medoc was running. <laughs> Decidedly futuristic. Who the fuck wrote that? JNT. JNT. Yep. Yeah. So that gives us a really good clue of what we're where we are and what it looks like. Uh, I suppose. I suppose decidedly futuristic could be anything in your imagination. Well, exactly. You yeah. can make it what you want. Yeah. I I feel like in the animated version here, it looks like it's made out of a load of egg boxes, which probably, you know, is quite appropriate for Doctor Who. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, now here we have not Terence Lodge. 
Yes. Now he turns up in a couple of Doctor Who stories. He does he? in Carnival of Monsters, <clears throat> which we talked about recently. We did, and Planet of the Spiders. Oh, that's right. I think he, uh, him, and Elizabeth Sladen lived together at one point. She says, "Oh, right, that they shared a flat for a little while." Okay. When they were jobbing actors, you know, and they needed to bring yeah. their salaries mm-hmm. together in order to survive. And this is a really interesting opening because there's, um, it's literally just some sound effects and dancing. Yeah, it's really different, and it's it would be difficult to have any clue from the audio the the audio what's going on but i think they do a good stab with the um uh with the dancing and everything else and this this piece of music chromoform band is written by dudley simpson but is the only other piece of music for doctor who realized by delia derbyshire is it really it is so other than the theme this is the only other bit of music for doctor that she directly did for doctor who you know what? It's probably the piece of music that I hum the most after the theme tune. I know. Yeah, it's it's really catchy. Um, I really like. Well, one thing is I I love the sound effects in this throughout. Yes. I think um, there's lots of sort of slurping, sinister sounds throughout the mm-hmm. entire story. Um, but that switch from something sinister happening in the dark to the jolliness of the cheerleaders and the music and that. That's just Doctor Who in a nutshell, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's um, yeah, and uh, it really quickly establishes that you've got somewhere that is bright on the outside, but there's a dark secret underneath, and things aren't necessarily what they seem. And this is that's that's like a um, a very sixties preoccupation, isn't it? Of like, yeah, I mean, the the whole thing is is very 1967 so it was obviously something in in the water at the time so this ends up um with the prisoner at the end yeah. of the year um, which is very very similar to this a very similar pre- um premise so you've got a place with lots of jingles with lots of loudspeaker announcements that looks like a holiday camp but is really sinister underneath and there's dark things happening Lots of sort of mind control and 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 weirdness. What is it with Ian Stewart Black and the mind? Because he has something about this, doesn't he? And yeah, that's about um, taking minds out of people, isn't it? In yeah, the War Machines is all about controlling people and taking away their free will. So I'm wondering if that's just a preoccupation that he might have had, you know? Yeah, or maybe, or maybe it was just something that was really current because you've also got. the film The Ibcris File at the same time, which is all about um, mind um, brainwashing and, and things like that and mind control and making people do things that they don't want to do. Mm. So it's all, there's obviously something that is sort of worrying. I don't know whether it's a, a sort of Cold War sort of thing or whatever. It's and there's definitely the whole thing with the controller. On the, that's very Orwellian, isn't it? Very yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the big motionless picture on the screen with like Big Brother is watching you. Yeah, and it, I don't know, it all feels quite prescient as well, given how yeah. much mm-hmm. of these days. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, yeah, and um, I've been reading um, a big book about the history of the BBC recently, which has been been very fascinating. And um, kept that quiet. Hmm? You've kept that quiet. Well, I have. Well, yeah, it's kept me quiet. It's about six hundred pages long, so it's. But it's there. There was um a real fear of um 
using jingles on radio and how that might brainwash people and sort of um, be could be used for subversive means to make people think things that they weren't thinking or to make them listen to things that they weren't listening. So all that sort of subliminal sort of sound thing. So to have a story that is based around jingles when you finish work and all of that is sort of playing into really big fears in um, in society at the time about all of these things. There's um, an episode of the 60s sci-fi anthology series um, Out of the Unknown, which is called The Tunnel Under the World, which is my favourite episode of, of Out of the Unknown, which is all about advertising jingles and slogans and how you end up buying things that you don't want to buy because you're hearing these sounds all through your day. And the BBC are obviously really scared that people could be using this for, for nefarious means. And then they went and did it when they launched Radio 1 anyway and, <laughs> and went down the jingle route as it was. So, and now everyone, I swear everyone's up to it and now. now. It's all there. And we all do it. We all find ourselves humming adverts yeah. and things like that and remembering the slogans because we hear them all the time and it keeps on coming and coming and coming. Oh, is it? I beg your pardon. <laughs> um, I was in a shop the other day, right? And the music was so sophomoric that I felt very depressed about life. I ended up straight down the chocolate aisle and I was buying loads of chocolate. I was like, exactly. Yeah. So it works. <clears throat> but the jingles in this it is so sinister, isn't it? Because they are really catchy, but they're all instructions. We're happy to yeah. work, you know? Yeah. Thank you to two. <laughs> Thank you to two. La 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 la. <laughs> and it's all that thing of everything looking great on the outside and this is such a happy place to be and it's like being well, very much and i'm sure it's designed like this very much like being at butlins in the 1950s and 60s where you've got happy music played through the loudspeakers at you all the Even time it's fucking miserable yeah <laughs> and you're having a communal experience and you're having the best time of your life and you really are and you're showing off your knees and your gran is doing something embarrassing and you're all there and it's yeah and it is great <laughs> Hey, look, dear old Barney. Oh, dear old Barney. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing succeeds like success. success. <laughs> Do you know what? They've, I mean, that is a, a authentic representation of the controller because like, there are telesnaps of this. That's yes. a really sinister face, isn't it? It is, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so I don't know how we've gone this far. Uh, they're all in the colony now, and yeah. we have mentioned the second Doctor, Polly, Gem Polly, Ben, and, and Jamie. Jamie. So, okay. Okay, so this is a question from our dear friend, Fraser Gregory. Oh, not him. Yes, him. He's he's come at us with some questions. Well, specifically to you, because he sent them. Okay. To all right. So, when discussing Troughton's companions, no one, in my experience, picks... Polly, Ben, and Jamie as their favourite TARDIS team. What is it that Jamie has that Ben doesn't that makes him stand out and give him that longevity? Oh, God, he's good, isn't he? Damn him. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic because this is um, a TARDIS team that is kind of thrown together in the chaos of the start of the Troughton years. So yeah. it's not one that was planned. So I really love Polly. I think Polly never gets enough love. 
Um, she's she's brilliant and she's gung ho and she's she is scared, but she's brave at the same time, like the best Doctor Who companions. And she throws herself into an adventure, and everything is super with Polly. So she's she's great. Do you not think though with her sometimes they make some odd choices? Now I agree. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, there's there's bits in the Highlanders where she's with. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you ignorant savage. You yes. Know. Yeah. She's, it's really interesting. She's got this wonderful thing of treating everyone in the past like they're all stupid, <laughs> which is very much an almost a, a 1960s woman might like Polly might do, where you think, well, actually, I'm from a much later age. You must all be really stupid. And then realizing later on that, that she's, judging people and she's not like that and that poor fella the the kid in the smugglers yeah oh god she's she's horrible yeah and they they convince him don't they that she's a witch that's right yes fell on him and all that Uh um and yeah and she has some really lovely warmth with with michael craze as ben oh man and they're this oh they are good i'm telling you now they're one of the hottest pairs of Doctor Who companions in the TARDIS. Throw Fraser Hines in and bloody yeah. rubber in the, the underwater menace. That's the TARDIS team I would jump into merrily. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah, God, we'd all fit in there <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> but but sort of to think about it, I I think what Jamie adds is maybe a bit more warmth yeah. to this crew because. Ben and Polly are very cool 1960s and throwing a character that's a bit more naive and doesn't know all these things, I think sort of works nicely. Well, they do that weird thing in the moon base, don't they? Where the two of them are fighting over Polly. There's a bit of aggression between yeah. them. Yeah. I, I, I often wonder if that's sort of because it's last minute and they've got to write him in and they've got to find something for him to do. Because I don't think that quite works because I think they are all friends but maybe that's exactly how ben would react because ben can be a bit reactionary and a bit oh for sure with his fists and bit there were some bits in this right where and michael i think this is probably michael craze's best performance yeah Mm -hmm. because it actually gives him some opportunities to do something beyond sort of being the doctor's muscle um where he's quite um masculine like overtly masculine and a bit sinister especially when he's pursuing polly yeah and you do wonder whether the um brainwashing that he undergoes just unlocks something that's actually deep down in his psyche yeah because like in in stories like uh, power of the daleks and that he can be quite forceful with trout and can't yeah he's not yeah he's not accepting this is the new doctor he's not having it he's not even though he's he's seen it happen he's not going to accept that this is this is the doctor he's not like physically imposing as in he's quite a small guy isn't he yeah but he's quite in your face as well and with his opinion he's got yeah he's got an intensity about him i think but he does look great when he's been been soaked to the bone and (laughs) (laughs) in those telestaffs from the highlanders no smugglers is it smugglers where he takes his gear off yeah that's right yeah God, that's my so we favorite. need those two stories back. You see his nipples in one telly snap, isn't it? You something? do. Honestly. Well, we need Fraser right now. We get a bit excited. <laughs> so I think they were actually, by this point, they're working quite well as a TARDIS team. 
I think it took until this point. That's what's annoying. And then in the faceless ones, obviously they're un- yeah, then they're they're not yeah they're un undone very quickly. So I, I think they. It you think could it have might have been quite nice. Do you think it might have been quite nice for them to have had Evil of the Daleks as well? That would that would have been a nice way to go out at the end of that. Yeah, I think that could have worked because, and <clears throat> as a, a friend of mine, Andrew, um, sort of says, we're very much in um, contract roulette at the moment. Yeah, um, with the companions and the changing teams, and the one thing in this Lloyd is very good, sort of behind the scenes at keeping everything um, running but he's not very good at looking after his casts and people are ditched almost on a whim and people are brought in on a whim. And so he creates these two fantastic new companions, brings them in and then straight away, almost three stories in, he's bringing in another companion because he's, he likes Fraser Hines and. Well, they liked Sam Briggs, didn't they? In the fight. Yeah. And then, yeah, then they want, yeah. Then they want, um, yeah. What's her name? Pauline. Collins. Yeah. Pauline Collins to be the companion and she turns them down and then they've cast someone else as Victoria and then she's fired because they don't think she will work so well with with Troughton and, and oh uh, who was that I um, Denise that? Buckley apparently Denise a woman called Denise Buckley oh was in all the 60s <laughs> shows and so and then 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 um Deborah Watling is brought in so it's all over the place and um can I tell you a story Anika about Wilson. Wilson? It's got nothing to do with any of this. Very quickly. No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No. Um, so Marvel Ralph was reading out Mary Tam's autobiography. The other yeah. Day, right? And it was a story about how they went on the Doctor Who cruise from hell. Right? <laughs> and halfway through the cruise, they weren't allowed to go ashore in Mexico because storms hit, right? So they had to stay on the water and literally the boat was being... And they were like, no one can disembark the ship, but nobody had told Deborah Watlin. And she'd gone off on one of these, uh, one, one of the things to go ashore, straight into the eye of the storm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Apparently when she came back through, she looked like a drowned kitten. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to add that in somewhere. She was a lovely lady. I loved Deborah Watley. She liked her drink and her smokes. Didn't she, she did. Yes, I, I looked after her at a uh, at a convention once. Clang. <laughs> Sorry, Fraser. I never, you know, I never like to mention any of my stories. Um, and it literally got to half past eleven, and she disappeared <laughs> from the signing table and Get went back. and got a large glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> Get me. <a> yeah. <laughs> Oh, what's going on in the Macro Terror? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. Um, Medoc is on the screen. Oh, and yeah. Troughton is being nicely elusive and yeah. setting him free. He knows straight I mean, away, don't... doesn't he? He, I think he can he's pick seen up it the dog straight yes. away. Yeah, he's seen through all of this, whereas his companions are a bit more seduced by the the fripperies. I and mean, one of the things we don't see in this version because of the difficulty of animating it all was trouting in the rough and the tumble, um, the rough and tumble machine and making himself smart and things like that i mean that, is, also we, that is pure trouting isn't it yes but also we don't get to see polly ben and jamie having their treatments as well at the sort of same time so i think there's tele snaps of michael craze being massaged and and things like that and they're all sat there with that yeah i've saw that face <laughs> I would have done that job, you know. I'd have been that extra <laughs> doing the massaging. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, because they do take some liberties, don't they? Because Polly has her hair 
cut. That's right, yes. But and... she's starting with the short hair from yeah. the start of this. I don't know. Because they have, well, well, that, they... that was the most heinous crime in this whole thing. He was having his Ian Levine moment. Well, you know, I understand why they did it because it would just be extra cost. And they haven't got a lot of money to do this. They're not Pixar. They haven't got infinite money. And I, I absolutely buy that excuse until you think, well, actually, they did the Wheel in Space animation alongside this. And maybe if they hadn't have done that, they might have been able to have done this. this. Yes. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the story as well, the bit where they were dancing out the hall. Yeah, the, we the don't get that. cuts up to a window. Yes. So you don't get to see that. No. And that's two of the best bits in the whole story. Yes. <laughs> I love the rough and tumble bit. It goes, oh, yes, exactly what I need. I Let's want. go. <laughs> and they're going, oh, come on, doctor, get out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he comes back as disheveled as ever. So, so do you think the, the doctor sees through all of this, you know, jollity straight away? Yeah, I think so. I think he's naturally suspicious. So this is very and it'd be very interesting to see what Patrick Troughton is doing in these scenes because, again, we can hear his voice, but his performance is so, it's so, face, so yeah, and, and he's always doing. They do animate his face quite well in this. Yes, because he's got a good face for animation because it's beautifully lined and. I don't think else. you could ever replicate what he's doing with his face, though, in animation. No, and. This is why every time one of some of his episodes come back, you're always surprised because he's always doing something that you're not expecting him to be doing. Well, those scenes in Enemy of the World, episode one, where he's flirting away with Astrid Feria, I didn't yeah. realise none of that was going on in the soundtrack. And then he's just like, mm, hello. <laughs> no, and then you've got those scenes in um, part four of The Web of Fear where you've got him in really huge close-up at the front of the frame with the other characters behind him and yeah. while he's talking about the great intelligence and it's really magical it's really Quite really superb. sinister in that scene isn't it yeah um excuse me we're we're completely forgotten to mention the uh the, the bondage gear that the guards seem to be wearing in this story something well, ola and the guards knew what had to be done well ola's another figure ola starts a long tradition of Fat villains. Yes. <laughs> it's the Paul Whitson Jones effect. Yes, because we've we've not long had Paul Whitson Jones, who was the big villain in The Smugglers. That's right. And he pops and then he comes him. back for, for the mutants. And then we've got um, is this Gerton Clauber? Is that his name? I think oh. that's his name, yeah, playing Ola. I I think Ola's pretty good in this, you know, actually. Yeah, he's nicely sinister. I mean, he's playing sort of the archetypal sort of guard and loyal to the, the community and um, knows his place and, yeah, you wouldn't mess with him. The person I find most sinister in this, though, is Peter Jeffrey because Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. He is, he's got this sort of enforced jollity about him and, yeah, he's the one that's running this sweatshop. <laughs> yeah, he knows what's going on. Because they say to him, is it, I don't know if it's in episode one, episode two, they say to him, you know, oh, get get the sleep therapy going, you know, and he's like, right. Yeah, so he knows bits of what's going on, but he doesn't know about the macro, does he? Well, there's no such thing as macro. So oh, they don't exist. Macro what's this? Don't exist. Oh, my God, what's that? The, well, um, I don't know, Joe. It looks like some kind of 
hideous crab-like creature. The crab-like creature was hideous. <laughs> Poor JNT, he's been mocked relentlessly for this. Um... But it was obviously memorable because we remember all those bits. <laughs> yeah. All right, so what? How did you find that as a first episode? Because no, no, <clears throat> that rattles along quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. I, it's really sort of setting is a good setup for a story. So you've got right from the start, you've got um, all that contrast between the happiness and the the bad things underneath, which is a, a thing Doctor Who will keep keep on coming back to sort of down the years. So yeah, it's it's doing good. I think that the Macroterra has like it's like the death of the Daleks effect, right? The first half of the story. It's something really quite interesting with a lot of atmosphere. And I think there's something very sinister about this sort of jolly colony uh, with all these sinister things going on. And then in the latter half, and now you might find me on this later on, it becomes a bit more of a nuts and bolts Doctor Who story down in the mines, the monsters, the, you know, it, it's a little... Yeah, less- so we're losing, yeah, we're losing the more interesting, subversive message because ultimately this is always going to be Doctor Who, isn't it? You know, yes. it's, it's it's about the monsters rather than the mind control. 